Paul outlines God's plan for our our spiritual resistance to the devil's scheming. He tells us of, of how we have been outfitted, how we have been prepared. He gives us direction in how to fight, and he sends us on mission. As we close this chapter of this book, I pray that you are encouraged in your daily struggle and that that you would see how God is at work in you and in the world around you and that you would find peace, that you would find peace in him, in his word for you. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 24, we read the word of the Lord. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the, cosmi- against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Therefore, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit, With all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychus, the brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may, be, or that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. That ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you'd speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. Praise in your name. Amen. In 1995, the film The Usual Suspects came out. It wasn't heralded as a, as a great movie. Uh, Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times gave it a one and a half stars out of four, saying that it was confusing and uninteresting. It is built upon that humble beginning, however, and has become something of a cult classic. The American Film Institute on June 17, 2008, revealed the ten best movies in classic American film genres, and the usual suspects clocked in at number ten in the mystery genre. It's a mystery heist movie with an ensemble cast. And through the whole movie, you're trying to figure out who the bad guy is. They built up this this character. They build up this character of this Kaiser Soze. But you don't know who he is. Who is Kaiser Soze? 
Who is the enemy? As Christians in America, I think we, we tend to have a lot in common with the police in this movie. We spend a lot of time trying to figure out who the bad guy is. Who, who is the enemy? Who's the villain? Who is against us? Is it the liberals in government who are passing laws that allowed the state of Oregon to go after the little family bakery of Aaron and Melissa Klein back in 2013 when they declined to, pro- to provide a wedding cake for a lesbian wedding, citing their Christian beliefs? Is it the Islamic extremists who are beheading Chris- Christians all, all over the, you know, the, the, beheading Christians in, in the Middle East and just the persecution that, that, that Christians receive from the extremists? Is it the media who just spout opinion before they get the facts and spin situations like, like John Chow's outreach to the North Sentinelese people, which proved fatal for the young aspiring missionary? What could and should have been a nuanced conversation about missions and preparation, viability and legality, and how all those things work together was instead colored by a lack of proper research? Some outlets labeled Chow as naive at best and an overstepping colonizer at worst. Now there's little room for debate because the story is in print. Opinions have been formed and it's out of the news cycle. The truth is not important. Only who gets their opinion shouted first, loudest, and to the most people. So is the uninformed and biased media the enemy? Is it politics? Is it progressives? Is it musicians? Is it schools? Is it movies? Is it liberals? Is it conservatives? Who is the enemy? One of the lines in The Usual Suspects that just hits me every time I watch the movie is this. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. In our text this morning, Paul makes it very clear who our enemy is. It's not the world. It's not the media. It's not the government. It's not the liberals. It's not the conservatives. Though each of those groups may cause or may may grieve the mission of Christ at times, though they may make life harder for us at times, they are not the enemy. In fact, they are the mission field. Anyone who does not believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior are people we are sent to love on and proclaim the gospel to, no matter how uncomfortable or inconvenient or painful that may be for us. But they are not the enemy. Paul tells us that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That is our enemy. The devil, Satan, the spiritual forces of evil. Christians are called to a spiritual battle to fight the good fight of faith we see in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. This is our spiritual struggle. To not give up on our faith in the gospel when, when we come against the opposition. That opposition can come from our broken world. It, it can come from the sin that lives inside of us and it can come from the devil and the lies that he tells us. But our struggle is spiritual. 
And it can seem like those spiritual forces lined up on the opposing side. They're just massive. Like we're totally outnumbered. How do we stand a chance? How do we have, how do we have hope? Like <laughs> way, way too many for us to have any chance, any hope at victory. We can feel like Gideon and his small band of 300 men up against the Midian army that boasted 135,000 men. Gideon was himself a coward. The Israelites did not win that day on the merit of their leader. They didn't win because of his genius or his bravery. They won because they placed their faith and trust in a God that would not let them down. It was not the qualifications of the coward. It was the God he put his trust in that led to victory. And the same is true for us as well. That even though we don't feel qualified to fight the battle of faith, we do not fight on our own qualifications. We fight on the qualifications that have been given to us in Christ. And as we fight, as we participate in this spiritual struggle, it's helpful to remember that we have a lot in common with, with the Allied troops at the end of the European theater in World War II. You see, on, on June 6, 1994, the Allied forces landed on the shores of France. They stormed the beaches of Normandy. Today, we celebrate this victory as D-Day. The victory of this battle ensured victory on the Western Front in World War II. Yet, or the, sorry, the European Front in World War II. Yet, even though victory was assured... The Allied troops had to keep fighting the Germans all the way to Berlin until they surrendered on May 5th, 1945. Almost a full calendar year. Just short of, of a calendar month from being a year there. Almost a full calendar year. And during those 11 months, the fighting was fierce. It was intense. A lot of people still died. But victory was no longer in doubt. The Allied forces knew that they would win. It is similar for us. Christ decisively defeated Satan on the cross, but will not destroy him until he returns in judgment. Until then, our struggle with Satan's forces will remain fierce, but our ultimate victory is never in doubt because of the cross. What a helpful reminder, an encouraging reminder that victory is already assured. This is part of why Jesus came to earth to defeat Satan and, and to, as we pray in the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from evil. We see this again as Jesus speaks to a hostile crowd in Mark chapter 3, verse 27. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebub. And by the prince of demons, he has cast out demons. So Jesus is performing miracles. And, and there's a, a child that, that is brought, and he, he, he frees, he, he sets people free from their possession. And, and the leaders, the opposition to Jesus are like, whoa, man, this guy's, this guy's got to be possessed by Satan. He's got Beelzebub in him. And, and that's why he's casting people out. That's how he can do it. That, that's why this is happening. And, and he called to them and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand, but is coming to an end. 
But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, that indeed, then indeed he may plunder his house. Jesus is the plunderer. Jesus has bound up the strong man, Satan, and he is plundering Satan's house. He is taking those that once belonged to Satan away from him. Satan is bound before the power of Jesus. We do not need to fear Satan. We don't need to fear him. We have been rescued from him. Remember that. Hold on to that. Rest in the truth and the peace that brings that brings you uh, yeah. rest in the peace that that brings as you face hard times. Because there will be hard times. It's also helpful to know that we are not sent into battle without proper equipment. We have been provided a suit of armor by God, which sounds kind of crazy. Sounds a little weird. But in our passage this morning, Paul lays out what that looks like. That through Christ, we have been given the belt of truth. This is the truth of the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection, and what that means for each of us who believe. Like a belt, it it ties and it, it holds everything together. We can trust in the truth. We can put our hope in the truth. It won't fail and embarrass us. When we are trusting in the truth of God's word, the truth of the gospel, we will not be caught with our pants around our ankles. This belt will not give out. We can trust in the promises that we are given in Scripture, that they will not disappoint us, and so we wear the belt of truth. Through Christ, we have been given the breastplate of righteousness. Isaiah 59, verse 17, promises a Savior who would put on righteousness like a breastplate. This is Jesus who who lived a life of perfect righteousness for us. And when we believe in him, the book of Galatians tells us that we have put on Christ. And as we we have put on Christ, we have put on his righteousness, we have put on his breastplate. And so when God looks at us, he sees he sees the righteousness of Jesus, the righteousness that Jesus wore on us. This righteousness is what qualifies us for heaven and protects us from Satan's condemnation under God's law. Not that Satan has the power to condemn us, but he is the father of lies, and so he comes to us and asks if, you know, if we have fulfilled the law. Asks us if we have lived perfect lives and then reminds us of all the times that we have failed putting our shame on full display. And then he asks us if God can really forgive that. And if the righteousness of Christ can really cover all of that. And the answer is yes. Yes, it can. The breastplate of righteousness removes our sin from the sight of God and he remembers it no more. And it protects us from the lies of Satan. Through Christ, we have been given the sandals of peace. The peace of God that that comforts us and enables us to bring the good news of the gospel to others. 
We are wearing his sandals of peace when, like troops prepared for battle, we are so trusting in the peace that Jesus secured for us on the cross that we are ready to proclaim it to others. The fear and and trepidation that we feel when confronted with the reality of our call to evangelize is answered through the peace that God gives us. The opinions of others don't matter. Their response of those who we proclaim the gospel to doesn't matter. That's that's up to God. And God gives us peace to follow through on his commandment, to proclaim his message of salvation through Jesus Christ alone to the nations. In Christ, we have been given the shield of faith. Lies are thrown at us from every enemy. Did God really say, Satan asked Adam and Eve in the garden. Some men, very intelligent and and diligent men, have spent their lives trying to disprove the existence of God. And so we have lies coming at us from all angles. And the shield of faith defends us from these lies, these these flaming arrows. Proverbs 30 verse 5 promises that God is a shield to those who take refuge in him. He is our shield. He is our rock. He is our faith. And when we rest in him, rest in his promises, the flaming arrows, the lies of the devil and the world around us are extinguished. They are put out. They are useless and ineffective. We can rest in the protection of the shield of faith. In Christ, we have been given the helmet of salvation. In Isaiah 59, verse 17, we are promised a Savior who would wear the helmet of salvation on his head. He put garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in a cloak of zeal. Jesus is our Savior. And like troops protected by bronze helmets, we are taking the helmet of salvation when we are trusting Jesus is our Savior and Judge. What a protection! For us. That salvation is through Jesus, not through our works, not through our merit, not through our worth, but through his works, his merit, his worth. What a protection for us. Our salvation is secure. It is a defense. It is our helmet in our spiritual battle. And in Christ, we have been given the sword of the spirit. This is the only offensive weapon, and it's the only one necessary. We're like Roman soldiers armed with a sword that cuts through the defenses of the enemy and that parries the enemy's blows. We have the Spirit of God living and active on our side, and that blade of the Spirit not only fights against the sin in the outward world, but it is doing battle inside us as well. It battles our old nature our ingrained desire to sin, to make an idol of ourselves, of self. And it cuts us down to size, trimming us, shaping us to, be, to look more like Christ. Through his word, through his sword, God is at work. And we can trust in that. It will not fail. It will not break. It is solid and true with a fine-honed edge. What a weapon we have been given the word of God. 
Often when we think of armor, we think of how we must prepare to use it. We think of how we need to strengthen our our muscles so that we can hold the shield, build our stamina so that we can run with this armor on, this armor that, that weighs us down, practice our movements so that we aren't hindered by the armor. But it's different with the armor of God. When we look at the pieces of armor that have been given us, we soon realize the truth, or that truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, and the word of God are not virtuous actions that we are to start doing. Paul is not urging us to be good, not in this passage, anyway. Rather, they are all ways of describing the impact of the gospel. The impact of the gospel in our lives, the impact of the gospel on the world around us, the gospel, what Jesus has done for us. So when Paul calls us to stand in verse 14, he's not calling us to stand on our merit, on our work, on our worth, but on the merit, the work, and the worth of Jesus Christ. So let us stand. Let us stand against the devil and his schemes. Let us be part of the raiding party into the house of this strong man. Let us be used by Jesus to win souls through the proclamation of the gospel. Let us stand, though the odds may be overwhelming, and though some days will be dark. On those days, let us stand like Eleazar. Earlier, I referenced Gideon and how he followed God into battle against a much larger foe, the Midianite army. And many of us are familiar with Gideon. But how many of us are familiar with Eleazar, the son of Dodo? We encounter him in 1 Chronicles chapter 11, verse 12 through 14. Eleazar was, was one of David's mighty men. He was with David when they defied the Philistines who were ready for battle. That's really all the passage tells us is that there's this group of Philistines, this army that was ready for battle. And, and, and many of the men fled. We, David's men, we can't fight, we can't take them. We've got to get out of here. They, they, they fled before, before the, this Philistine army and the fight takes place in a barley field. And in verse 14, we read about Eleazar, but he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and killed the Philistines and the Lord saved them by a great victory. I love that picture, man. There's just this dude in the middle of a barley field with his sword and the enemy forces are just lined up against him and all of his friends, all of his like, like the guys that were fighting with him, they're gone. They're like, no, we're out of here, man. We're leaving. Adios. We can't win this war. And Eleazar's like, yeah, we can. And, and they charge, and he stands. But he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it. 2 Samuel 23, verses 8 to 10, gives us a bit more uh, detail on the story. And it tells us that Eleazar struck down the enemy until his hand was weary, and his hand clung to the sword. They had to pry his hand off of the hilt later. He was stuck to it. One man against an army, but he took his stand, and the Lord gave them a great victory. He took his stand. 
Though it may appear at times that victory is impossible. The numbers of the enemy are too overwhelming. Remember that the odds are ever in our favor. Remember that the battle has been won. That Jesus Christ has defeated Satan. And that he has equipped you for the fighting that remains. And that you do not fight alone. And as we remember that, Paul calls us to, to support each other in prayer. That we might find our strength in the Lord. And that we might have the words and boldness to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. What a wonderful and amazing God that we serve. A God that has equipped his people, his church. Has unified them in Christ and has sent them out on the mission to bring about his kingdom. The battle has been won. Victory is assured. Rest in that. Rest in the wonderful, redeeming grace of our loving and merciful God. Amen.